as consumers, we are bombarded by it at every turn. Like the Incredible Hulk being bombarded by gamma rays. But what makes some media endure, while others are banished to the forgotten black hole of obscurity, never to be heard from again? Who or what decides this? Heterolife makes Stephen Yell want to know, and they want to know now. This is Obscurity Now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Obscurity Now, the show that takes a look at weird and nearly forgotten pieces of media, and then we decide if they should be remembered for a little longer or tossed into the black hole of obscurity, never to be heard from again. My name is Steve, one of the hosts, and with me is a man who's responsible for all the recent celebrity deaths. It's... It's Yahel. I'm a murderer. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, in one way or another, I mean, who knows? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's murder afoot, you hell, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well, you know, everyone's had their fill of meatloaf, I suppose. Actually, everyone is suddenly uh, the biggest meatloaf fan uh, in the world. Uh, but you know that I was a loaf fan far before he bit the big yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I actually thought he was already dead. I thought some for some reason that he had died like a few years ago. Ah, just his so. career, just his career. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So you know, I was I was doubly impacted. Oh, I'm death. sure. Yeah, so did, I had to go through it twice, basically. Did you do one of those uh, meatloaf? Why, like tweets or Facebook posts or? Uh, oh, uh, I'm truly heartbroken about this person <laughs> I never knew, and whose music I haven't heard in ten years. Right, and and or another one where you're like, well, now meatloaf can finally find that bat out of hell or something like that or <laughs> with betty white I saw, great, yeah. I saw you know how in that video for uh, his i will do anything for love but i won't do that song he's mm-hmm. like has like this alien looking prosthetic forehead makeup right right and somebody like uh made some meme with a screenshot of him in that makeup and it was something like uh you know you're not a real star trek fan of you can't name this cardassian ah! uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome um Yeah, well, too bad, you know, we're not one of those podcasts that, you know, chases the trends because today's episode would be all about meatloaf. Uh, But instead, we're going after a bigger, more important trend. Of course, I'm talking about uh, VR. We've been talking about it all month. This is uh, episode number four and our exploration (laughs) of virtual reality. And I guess uh, more specific, 90s uh, virtual reality because that's when... Mm, VR was hot, baby. I mean, That's right. it was everywhere. Yeah, oh, it was. Ow, watch out. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, nowadays it's... My sexual orientation, VR. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. When using pronouns, refer to me as VR Steve Honeycutt. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the past episodes were all like uh, from media from the 90s. And that, of course, is uh, VR5. Yeah. It's right there in the title. Uh, yeah. VR Troopers, um, The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest, which uh, does not have VR in the title, but VR was uh, featured quite prominently in that well, show. Yeah, if maybe you have... a little too prominently. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and here, I did not know VR was ever featured on the show we are going to be talking about today. You told me about it. We're, that's yes. right. We're talking about the most uh, technically advanced, cutting-edge show that was ever <laughs> In American uh, TV history, and that is uh-huh. 
Murder She Wrote. Murder She Wrote, the the hippest show in the nineteen ninety three CBS lineup. Oh man, uh, I remember <laughs> when Vanilla Ice guest starred on one of the episodes, and I was like, "Go Murder She Wrote, Go Murder She Wrote, Go." Oh Jesus, was he really in one of them? <laughs> no. Oh, that's too. Uh, bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wouldn't surprise me. So Murder She Wrote. I know usually you ask me how familiar I am with it, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I, we're going to flip it around this time. <gasps> uh, so I'm, even though I suggested it and I knew about this like random obscure episode from season 10 of Murder, She Wrote, mm-hmm. I'm not a Murder, She Wrote fan per se. This Today was the first time I watched the whole episode of it. Wow. But um, but Pushing Up Roses has a great YouTube channel and she does a lot of Murder, She Wrote reviews mm-hmm. that are really fun. So I feel like I'm very familiar with the Murder, She Wrote material as a result mm-hmm. of watching somebody else. Tell me my opinion. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) How familiar are you? Are you with Murder, She Wrote? Uh, Well, this is about how familiar it goes. If you were to go back to the uh, late 80s, early 90s, uh, my mom and dad would probably be watching it after a long day's uh, work. And I would probably be coming down from my room to... I don't know, bother them for some reason, and I would see that it's on, and then I would go back to do whatever it is that I was doing. Um, You'd be like, oh, this is too intense, murders in the title. I'd be like, this isn't cartoons. Like, these guys don't have a, uh, you know, talking car or a cool van, like, to fight crime in. Like, I'm out of here, man. I'm out of here. Hey, hey, You don't need a cool car when you've got a senior citizen. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I guess. Like, oh, man, I had so many. This episode's before friends like a 16 year old kid uh, oh gosh like almost romantically involved (laughs) i loved all of his like hip uh 80 or 90s because this took place in the 90s it's yeah season 10 in the late and i can't believe this show lasted and i guess i should well i should say i can believe this show lasted 12 seasons i mean i guess it was uh beloved and we should talk about uh I mean, the the nightly or weekly mysteries are were like an American pastime in, on American right. TV. They just yeah. lasted forever. And a lot of the guys uh, that we're going to get to here in a minute um, worked on a lot of uh, these American uh, mystery shows. And I guess the American public just ate it up with a spoon, just like they do reality TV these days. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which one is better? I don't know. That's up to uh, <laughs> history to decide. Um, but uh, but yeah, let's uh, run the bumper, and on the other side, we'll talk more about uh, murder. She wrote. <laughs> So, yeah, and as I was tweeting about this show, trying to, you know, <laughs> whip up the internet in a frenzy to come and uh, join mm-hmm. us uh, to chat about Murder, She Wrote in 2022, <laughs> um, I, you know, I mentioned that, I mean, Murder, She Wrote was basically every mom and every grandma's, like, favorite show back in, like, uh, mm-hmm. the 80s and 90s. Uh, could you say the same about your mom and grandma? I'm just curious. If, no. So Murder, no, She Wrote didn't was... have a place in the Velasquez household? No, no, because, you know, they, they watched mostly, like, Spanish-language ah. uh, shows, so, no, they didn't uh, get into Murder, She Wrote. I mean, was there, like, a mystery-solving no. show at all? No, no they, they were never really into that stuff. Mm. Um 
you know, and I guess part of the reason is because those kind of shows also weren't, at least at the time, from what I remember, not very big in Spanish language TV, mm-hmm. at least not the TV that we got here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, they never really got into it. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Yet he- my, my parents were just too cool for, to watch Murder, <laughs> She Wrote. Yet here in the U.S. of A., we were just captivated every week yeah. with the uh, adventures of one Jessica Fletcher. How some- what do you think about the theme song to Murder, She Wrote? Oh, uh, man. I mean, that uh, right off the bat, that really took me back because I swear, as I said... Every week, I would hear that song, and uh, and I was like, "Well, murder she wrote's on." Like, you know, mom and dad are <laughs> gonna be busy for like an hour. Um, yeah, and uh, and then how, how, and then the bell rung, or <laughs> and then the, the episode started. But anyway, how how would you uh, describe the theme song? Like, it's, uh, it's it's I don't know. It's it's very it, it, to me like it. I, it doesn't say murder mystery. No, to me. no, it's very jaunty, very happy. Yeah. Uh, doesn't feel like anything bad is going to happen at all. And uh, I also just love the uh, the opening entirely. It uh, it definitely sounds like something that uh, uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is mocking. Um, right, right. Uh, like in, depending on which section of the theme song you're listening to. But I love that every shot in the opening is one of her. You never see any right. other character. Yeah. And I can just feel like a producer in the background going, it's like, we need every single shot to be of Angela Lansbury because we can't have anyone else thinking that she's not the star. <laughs> yes, Vince McMahon was producing at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, funny enough, Angela Lansbury was the executive producer oh, I uh, saw by that. season 10. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe she was like, we need more Lansbury. <laughs> Yes, yes. She speaks of herself in the third person. Like, if, if she would have uh, lived long enough uh, to have, um, you know, the uh, special effects that we have now, she just would have been, like, deep faking her face yeah. on all the Is other actors. Uh, I assume so. I really... Did Meatloaf? Was she with Meatloaf? What happened? <laughs> um, why don't you look that up real quick um, while I go through a little bit of the IMDb here? Um, okay. So yeah, Murder, She Wrote ran from 1984 to 1996, as I said before, 12 seasons. And here's the series synopsis, in case you're not familiar with Murder, She Wrote. Professional writer and amateur sleuth Jessica Fletcher uses her intellect and charm and persistence to get to the bottom of every crime she encounters. (laughs) Every single one, you hell. Every single one. And uh, this particular episode takes place in Season 10, Episode 5, and it's called A Virtual Murder, which is why it fits into our uh, in-depth expose on virtual reality. Yes, indeed. And it premiered October 31st, 1993, and I think it's safe to say that neither you or I saw this when it premiered back then. No, no. As a 13-year-old child on Halloween, I did not watch the virtual reality episode of Murder, She Wrote that night. Yeah, that's odd that they picked uh, Halloween to premiere this, because, like, this doesn't scream, like, horror or sci-fi or <laughs> anything like that. I just, yeah. Again, I can feel some out-of-touch producer. It's like, it's got computers. It's scary. Throw it in there. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Like, I mean, this is a show that, you know, obviously its audience skewed older. Would they, you know, maybe an audience that wouldn't really, like, care for a halloween themed sure i think if you're watching murder she wrote you're probably not a 
really big into sci-fi or horror. Oh, no. I mean, I'm surprised they have this. I mean, the only the way I was looking at this is this like, uh, hey, we want an episode that, uh, you know, you can watch with your 12-year-old son <laughs> or right, something right. like that, you know, with the preteens. You know, they like the video yeah. games. Uh, so, yeah, so here's a synopsis for the episode. Jessica happens on a computerized clue to a murder while writing a mystery story for a friend's interactive video game company. And uh, so as for the people who are responsible for this episode, they're all... It's not a very accurate description, I, I gotta say. Eh, blame it on IMDb, man. Uh, I'm just the voice actor here. Um, <laughs> uh, the people responsible for this behind the camera, uh, director Lee Smith... <laughs> Surprisingly, this is all he's known for. He never worked in this town again. Um, well, once you peak, yeah, you peak. Yeah, <laughs> a virtual murder was just perfection, and he, yeah. uh, mm-hmm, it's, it's his Citizen Kane. Uh, okay, but as for the writers, they are veterans of the uh, murder mystery genre. One Peter S. Fisher it was nominated for three primetime Emmys. He's also the creator of Murder She Wrote. He wrote on Columbo, Macmillan and Wife, and Kojak. And he's followed by Richard Levinson, who also wrote on Columbo, McLeod, and uh, one of my favorites uh, back when I used to watch Nick at Night as a child for some reason, Alfred <laughs> Hitchcock Hour. Did you ever used to watch the Alfred Hitchcock oh, yeah, Hour? Yeah, 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 I used to watch You'd that. You'd seem like the yeah. type who would. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, William Link, uh, no relation to the actual Link. Um, he also wrote like on from Zelda. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, he uh, he wrote also wrote on Columbo and the Alfred Hitchcock Hour and uh, Mannix. And the production company was Universal uh, Television. Uh, so uh, take it away with the cast there. Yeah. So like most every episode of Murder She Wrote, uh, there's a large list of guest actors. There are a few recurring characters in the Murder, She Wrote universe, the uh, MSU. Uh, <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> if you will. But uh, anyways, we only see one of them at the very opening, the old guy that she's talking to who's mm-hmm. like, oh, the future. Oh, it's going to kill me. Which he, in a way, I guess it is, right? Because he's like 70. The future he, is coming to for him. He's against video games and women voters. I just want everyone to yeah, know that. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, we, of course, have the aforementioned Angela Lansbury. Mm -hmm. You know her from Murder, She Wrote, and Beauty and the Beast, and a billion other things. A.K.A. Garth Marenghi of uh, Murder, She Wrote. (laughs) (laughs) We've got Julia Campbell. Uh, She plays Sharon, who, um, well, I don't want to give anything away, but she she is a character in this. She's still uh, acting. uh, You know, a lot of these people have, like, pretty decent amount of credits to their name. Mm -hmm. Um. We've got, uh, I'm going to kind of go in a little different order here than it has on the IMDb. Maybe one second. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we've got um, Z- Rami Zeta, mm-hmm. who uh, plays James Lindstrom. It looks like he's semi-active, although he hasn't done anything in a while. But his acting is like very sporadic. Like he'll go a few years without something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny Woodburn, uh, he is a character inside the virtual game. And uh, he's a guy that like, I mean, I never knew his name, but I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. He's a little person. Uh, and uh, he's been—he was using a lot of stuff in the nineties and two oh, thousands. Oh, Mickey right? from Seinfeld. All right, that, I have yeah, that yeah, in my that's notes. right, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got Richard. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, despite myself being Hispanic. Ingas, <laughs> Nigas. 
Einiges? I'm not even going to dignify it with a with a chance. Yeah. Well, anyways, he plays uh, Sergeant Ignacio del Canto. Oh. Um, and uh, I recognize him from uh, two episodes of Babylon 5. Nice. We've got everyone's favorite super conservative, <laughs> <laughs> crazy person, Kevin Sorbo. Slash Hercules, slash pool boy. Yeah, slash pool boy. Mm-hmm. He was also in Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gene Roddenberry, of course, the creator of Star Trek. Uh, but yeah, Kevin Sorbo's in this as Michael Burke, one of the main characters. Uh, we've got Sean Fellon, uh, who is Alex. He plays a 16-year-old kid who never did anything again after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, besides that, we've got uh, three more people. And I save until the end because, yes, Steve, they uh, were in Star Trek. I knew it. Um, we've got Kate McNeil. Mm-hmm. Um, she plays a character named Kate Walden. Uh, we've got Phil Morris. He plays David Salt. Uh, oh, I should say Kate was in one episode of Star Trek Enterprise. Phil Morris was in the original series as a Whoa. kid. Wow. He was in two episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He was in Star Trek Three, And he was also in Star Trek Voyager. Wow. Um, yeah, so that guy's literally been in every series except for The Next Generation, uh, <laughs> basically. Um, Alan Miller, he played a background alien in Star Trek Three, And that brings us to the conclusion of the cast. All right, here it comes. Ah, oh, no. We, we just, just entered, entered another, another Star, Star Trek, Trek connection. connection. Ah. All right. Uh, let me get back. All right, so... Whew. Okay, you ready to jump into this show? Uh, just about. Uh, Steve, did you want to know what was hot uh, at the time in October of? Well, aside from VR and of course Angela Lansbury. Uh, By the way, she's still alive, ninety-six years old. Wow, good for her. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in uh, ninth, at by, at the end of October. Mm-hmm. The, I'm not even going to have you try to guess what song this is. It's the number one song because I don't even remember this song. Okay. Do you remember a song called Just Kicking It by Xscape? I remember that name, but I don't remember the song at all. Yeah. I just remember... The letter X followed by Scape. That's it. Just Real that cool. ridiculous name. Because, you know, X's were so cool back then. Yeah. Well, anyways, they had the number one song the final week of October of 1993 when this aired. And the number one film in the country was Demolition Man. Oh, nice. Oh, awesome. Yeah. 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 It's a fun movie. You better believe it. Um, All right, but yeah, let's get, let's get into this. Let's... All right. Well, the show. <laughs> what, you want to fight, buddy? <laughs> just... All right. I almost said, let's get into Angela. Oh, what? <laughs> this really turned into a different show. And then here. I stopped. I, thought, I realized what, what, it, what it sounded like. <laughs> All right. Well, the show starts out with a teaser, just like uh, Yehel's teasing us over here with his diseased mind. Uh, with um, basically Angela Lansbury telling us what's to expect on this riveting episode of uh, Murder, She Wrote. And then um, the aforementioned theme starts, and it really took me mm-hmm. back um, to the 80s. And then basically we are transported to uh, a day shot of Boston. And uh, Jessica, who is Angela Lansbury's character, I'll try to refer to her as her character's name. Yes, please um, do. She's Jessica Walter now. <laughs> uh I thought it's Fletcher, Jessica Fletcher. Oh, Fletcher, yes. Uh, Jessica Walter, she, she was in Arrested <laughs> Development. Sorry. She uh, explains to uh, 
I just have him have him as elderly old man that she wrote a VR game. Uh, he's against it because he just doesn't understand it. Uh, and um, she basically explains pretty well how VR works and how she's flying out to Silicon Valley to uh, to test it. And um, she then explains that it's called a killing at Hastings Rock. We get some stock footage of an airplane taking off, and then boom, we're in Silicon Valley. Then we are treated to the most hilarious scene ever, and that is Hercules dressed as a computer nerd looking at Angela Lansbury wearing VR gear, uh, which is basically, that's what um, enticed us into doing this episode to begin with. I'd say. <laughs> yeah, and her VR headset, you've got some pictures uh, of it, is like, I don't know, man, it's both better and worse than I expected it to look. Mm -hmm. um, and the gloves are kind of similar to the design of the uh, data, what was called the data glove, which later, mm -hmm. we, which be became the inspiration for the Nintendo Power Glove, by the way. Right. But uh, yeah, this is like a, a VR thing that NASA was using at uh, the JPL labs. And um, it looks to me like that's kind of what they based the look of the gloves off at the very least. Yeah, I felt like the gloves were, I mean, they felt kind of accurate as to what you would wear if you went to Disney Quest. I mean, obviously, those uh, the glasses were way too small <laughs> as right. to what was going even, on. Even for now, they'd be way too small. Right, right. I mean, my, uh, yeah, the Oculus Quest is uh, way thicker than what she's wearing. But, you know, uh, I mean, Angela Lansbury, pfft. She's not going to play no. with something that, that, you know, is weighing like anything over three pounds. She's not going to put up with it. She's just not. Well, yeah. And, and you don't want to cover that face either. Of course not. I'm surprised <laughs> she put up with what they gave her. I mean, but uh, anyway, we, uh, we, she's trying out the game. We see inside the game and uh, I love the look of it. It looks like a Tom Zito, Sega CD, FMV game. Um, uh, uh, basic, yeah, it's very pixelated. Yeah, I'm just like with VR5, they have their own version of um, how they decided to shoot what VR is supposed to look like. It's not um, polygons in the slightest because that would have been too expensive. They basically just shot a regular scene and then put a mosaic filter on top of everything, I, I think, yep. is uh, what they did. And um, and they called it VR. So yep. uh, And uh, it's weird because when she's playing the game, it's got, like, points for the player in, like, the one of the corners. <laughs> and it's, uh, randomly, it would just, like, accrue points. Yeah, just for, and... like, walking, yeah. Yeah, like, oh, great, you walked. Oh, you talked to a person, here's 5,000 points. It was It was... I mean, I, I, I guess I get what they were going for, but uh, kind of stupid. Yo, definitely stupid, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it looks just like you would think it would as a murder mystery kind of, I don't know, FMV, like FMV game. Yeah, VR yeah. game. It's got a fancy, fancy party. Everyone's dressed up in their finery. There's a creepy-looking butler. Um, everything is shot from the player's perspective, so it's like a first-person shooter, only without the shooting, obviously. Uh so um, Jessica's playing, and she's she just loves everything. I mean, that's one thing about it. she's like good natured just about everything. Even right, when right. she l later like interrogates the um, the PI when we get to it, she's just so good natured about everything. Like anyway, yeah. um, that's that's that charm. Uh, yeah, that they, that make... they were talking about in the series description. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then she gets to this female server and. Uh, she repeats herself and it glitches out 
Um, everybody freaks out, including this uh, money guy named David. Uh, and uh, like, there's a group of people watching him, and it's like Kevin Sorbo and his uh, programmers, basically. And we'll uh, we'll tr get to their names later. Hopefully, I wrote them down. And uh, he tells the money guy David to relax. Um, the server glitches again, and they realize they have a big problem. They stop the game, and that does not sit well with David, the money guy. Out of nowhere, a robot voice. This was this is so weird when this stuff starts kicking in. Uh, out of nowhere, a robot voice says, Alex Fletcher, please return your mother's call. And I think we need to mention that, um, that Alex, the little kid, is... Um, uh, how is he related to Jessica again? Like a um, nephew or something? Oh, I didn't think he was related to no, her. No, yeah, because at the beginning of the show, um, that's how she got wrapped up into this whole thing. Um, wow, I actually missed that. I just assumed because, you know, her whole thing is that she's a famous, you know, uh, murder mystery author. So I just thought that's why they had hired her. Right. I mean, but it's also part of how she got wrapped. And that's why they have the same last name because his name is Alex Fletcher and her name is Jessica Fletcher. But it's, it's really not that important. Anyway, uh uh, so one of the other programmers picks up his hot pink pager and hands <laughs> it to uh, hands it to him and uh, tells him that he left his pager again. And that just begs, begs the question. Did you ever have a hot pink pager back in the 90s? You hell? I didn't have a hot pink one, but I did have like a purple one that mm -hmm. was like a, like a purple see through ish uh, <laughs> kind of uh, case. But um, well, how else yeah, are you so going to deal pagers... your drugs? I mean, am I right? <laughs> Right. So these pages, they don't beep. They mm -hmm. don't vibrate. They announce right, to right. you who has called you. So and I get it. It's for the audience. Right. Because we can't see the screen of a pager. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, every, every time somebody gets a page, it's just basically this loud announcement that, uh, you know, so I guess comes from their pager telling them who to call. Yeah. Uh, and, and they really sort of uh, embellish like a lot of the I guess computer, you know, cyber, cybery aspects of um, of the stuff here. He then puts yeah. a code into what I have written down here is like a almost like a Star Trek style pod to let Jessica out of the VR room. It's like, why would mm -hmm. you even need? And the doors go the like automatic sliding yeah. doors, and it's just you know to make the elderly at home feel like uh, impressed or whatever. I guess right, the, uh, right. This is the future. Yeah, the set design, technology, <laughs> exactly. Because that's how things are in Silicon Valley. It's you know. Yep. Uh, anyway, Alex tells Jessica the bug should have never happened, and that, uh, and then a voice on an intercom tells Alex to please return his mother's call, and I'm just like. Poor boy. I'm like, leave this boy alone. Let Alex live his life. Come on, man. <laughs> um, Kevin Sorbo, and I'll try to refer to him as Michael, he tears into his programmers and tells them to fix it. Tells Jessica they have to reprogram the servant girl um, because it might, but doing that might cause even more problems. Uh, they argue, uh, and Jessica offers to write the servant girl out of it and says she's going to fix everything just with a mere swipe of her pen mm -hmm. um now just judging by the initial um i mean i guess neither of us are like you know programmers but hearing how they like talk and interact like does it feel it feels like you know the writers like did their research i guess with the uh, sort of basic programming talk just a little bit maybe I no would, I, I would say no i would eh. say no like 
talking about like, oh, there's going to be a cascade failure uh, if we, <laughs> you know, fix this one bug or whatever. Like, that's just not. So maybe uh, it's more like they just uh, they got someone's like a manual of like hacker terms and just sort of wrote them in so they can make themselves yeah. sound smart. L- l- like they use source code incorrectly several times mm-hmm. uh, throughout it. Like at one point, first they use it correctly to like kind of talk about how the source code, you know, it's like what the game is built off of and blah, blah, blah. blah. Mm-hmm. And, but then later on they talk about how uh, the source code is like some uh, Kevin Sorbo's character says, oh, you know, it's like the operating system. Mm-hmm. And well, no, it's not the operating <laughs> right. system. Hey, Alex, he said this ain't no Star Trek. No, no, this is uh, the very real world. <laughs> right. Well, that's how things were back then. Hell, don't you remember? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so then we cut to uh, forget to, one of the guys uh, amongst uh, Kevin Sorbo's crew was this uh, guy named Lindstrom. Um, I guess you could say he's like the uh, the Steve Jobs to Sorbo being the uh, the Bill Gates of the group uh, in a way, yeah. uh, loosely. I guess. Um, and uh, he's driving away from work, and this detective takes photos of him. And then uh, we cut to an interior shot of a Jessica, uh, Jessica's hotel. She's writing, and for some reason, Alex had to come with her. Um, so she's, uh, he's pacing back and forth. Um, Alex says um, this never should have happened because he's so cool. He designed a program to test the game at high speeds, but that Lindstrom guy wouldn't give him the source code because he's just too paranoid. Um, yeah, so here's another great example of source code being used incorrectly. So Alex is saying, I wrote a program. This is going to be confusing with Alex in the chat. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so he's saying, I wrote a program to test this mm-hmm. uh, game, but I need his source code right. to implement it. Well, did you write the program or not? <laughs> <laughs> like, so, but whatever. Right. And so cut to, we're back at the computer lab, uh, and the name of their company is uh, Marathon. So we're at the Marathon Computer Lab, and um, Michael Burke, a.k.a. Kevin Sorbo, and uh, Sharon, the, his uh, brunette lady, revealed that they were... It, it's weird. They talked like they were once romantically involved, but then they almost kiss because they still yeah. sort of are. They, just, they basically revealed that they kind of did and sort of do have feelings for each other, although right. they're interrupted by a um, blonde HR lady whose name I don't have written here at the moment um i think that was kate kate yeah there you go um so but, uh, then- sharon uh is clearly still into uh kevin sorbo's character mm-hmm. and it seems like uh you know they're not together anymore even though there's still something there right exactly and uh so now i uh, cut to where uh, we're back with the detective again and he stalks uh david the money guy from uh, uh from the beginning he's walking into this uh, nice-looking building, uh, and then uh, we are inside that building, and we are with uh, David the Money Guy, Lindstrom, and uh, some shady guy who we later find out is the head of a rival um, uh, software company, and um, they're basically having a meeting, and basically the shady guy is trying to recruit uh, Lindstrom. He says no, uh, David suggest, and then he storms off, basically, David suggests that uh, giving the source code uh, to the shady guy instead. Um, and also mm-hmm. uh, what's important here is that the shady guy says that 
he's involved with some people. Basically, he says he's involved with dangerous people and, you know, it's out of his hands what may or may not happen to Lindstrom since he turned him down. Right. Um, so uh, cut to um, we're uh, back at the uh, Marathon Computer Lab. Kevin is uh, Kevin. Michael Burke uh, finds uh, he's going <laughs> through Lindstrom's desk looking for the source codes. Why would you keep him in a desk? <laughs> That's pretty, pretty stupid. <laughs> well, more importantly, uh, when he's looking through his desk and his stuff, he pulls out a gun that this guy, I guess, just keeps at work. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. I was about to mention that. Yeah. I mean, that was like, I mean, his uh, his motivation to go through the desk <laughs> was to look for source code. I mean, why would they not be at a computer? Um, I mean, again, this is probably, this is the writer's not understanding. Yeah. Well, I actually, I actually do get why, and it makes sense within the story, in my opinion, because they do make a big deal that he's got the source code on this three and a half inch floppy that he keeps on. Right. Okay. Usually, I forget so about he's that. looking for yeah. the floppy. Mm-hmm. Is is what I think it's supposed to be. Right. Okay. So uh, yeah, he finds this tiny little uh, Derringer, <laughs> the most unthreatening yeah, it's gun, like a cold gun. Yeah, this is like such a stark difference to. I mean, I just remember occasionally watching episodes of like Miami Vice when everyone had Uzis and stuff, but uh, that's a different mm-hmm. show. Anyway, yeah. and um, uh, they do like, did, is, is it just weird? Did they not do like an awkward, lo- extra long close up of the gun, of him holding the gun? Oh, you know, as he was moving it, like just to like, hey, did you see this gun? Oh, they had to make sure grandma and grandpa you... saw that gun, no matter what, yeah. no matter how bad their eyesight might have been. Yeah. Uh, so time lapse a bit. Um, they have had they have fixed the game. They're ready for a final run through. Uh, <laughs> they have an interesting little debate here between Lindstrom and Jessica about chaos and control. And uh, Jessica is all about chaos because that. <laughs> I bet she goes home and listens to the Sex Pistols. She's yeah. one a hardcore bitch. Uh, what did you think <laughs> about that that chat? I don't know. It, it was. It was okay, I guess. It's just, uh, I, I guess they're just trying to establish establish the Lindstrom character mm-hmm. uh, a bit more. But it, it did feel like a very forced conversation that would not happen in real life. No, yeah, and, and at the same time, I think it was just like, oh, look at this, uh, look at Jessica Fletcher, like matching wits with the big time city boy, the guy, the right. big time Silicon computer guy. I mean, yeah, you, right, of right, course, right. just like nobody could ever match wits with one dark. Dark Darth Garth Marenghi. No one can match wits with one <laughs> Jessica Fletcher. Uh, so uh, Jessica plays the game again, and uh, and then while I was watching this, I was like, you know, you think they'd have like a real, you know, one of the programmers test the game or like an actual game tester, but you know, for the for the sense of the story, I mean, we just have to go with it, right? right I mean, and right. I guess she's she's also giving her opinion about what she thinks about the game. So I guess it kind of works. Um, yeah. And then this is when I saw uh, Mickey, the little person from Seinfeld, and I got excited for that. Uh, because, of course, <laughs> like this was the era of, ooh, let's make it weird. Let's put a little person in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cl- classic trope. Anyway, uh, so for some reason now there's a door that won't open within the game. Uh, and Jessica wants it gone, and uh, they say they'll fix it after the press reception, which the next scene, we are now at the press reception. Um, and uh, Michael gets a call from uh, the detective and... Um, a private investigator he hired. Yeah, yeah, I mean, private detective. It was, 
Yeah. Or well, I just, want, I just want to make sure we don't mix it up with the actual detective yeah, yeah, that okay. shows up later. Yeah, sure, sure. The private investigator. Um, and then we are now revealed that it was um, Kevin Sorgo, Sorbo slash uh, Michael Burke who hired him the whole time um, to uh, to look into uh, the other guy. What was his Lindstrom. name? Sle- yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And um, he tells him that there's more problems, but he won't tell him what those problems are without more money. And he hangs up. And uh, then uh, Michael Burke confronts Lindstrom about his meeting with the shady guy. And then the shady guy shows up at the press party. Uh, then they start opening up uh, VR booths to let people in to play, like the HR lady. I'm sorry, what was her name again? Kate. Uh, but before that, uh, Michael goes to the um, competitor uh, that's like trying to like hire Lindstrom. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is like Crowley, I think like that. Ah, oh, that's it. Goes, yeah, yeah. Michael goes to him and is like, "Hey, what are you doing?" He's like, "Where'd you get this pass? You know, to get in here, like his little uh, badge to be." He's like, "Oh, I don't know." It was like a really weird scene. He goes like, oh, "I just don't remember." Is and then. <laughs> If you you can take you can you can be drunk watching this episode by just taking a shot every time somebody says it's not illegal to do this. It, I didn't you know this thing I did isn't like it's a very common thing. But yeah, he's like it's not illegal to keep an eye on your competition, is it? And uh, then Michael's like takes his pass and it's like you get out of here before I have security kick you out. So but he's really pissed. So they're trying to establish that he's pissed at Lindstrom and pissed at Crowley for whatever it is that they're doing. Right, right, right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so he confronts the guy and, um, all right. So they start opening up the VR booths to let people like to, to let the press in to play, to look at everything. And one door won't open. And I knew this was going to happen. Cause like, I swear every single episode of Murder, She Wrote is pretty much the same. Uh, then they finally get the door to open and lo and behold, it's a dead body. And, <gasps> It's Lindstrom. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, exactly. They might as well have played that music. Um, So now the police um, show up, and they're investigating. And uh, Michael Burke uh, tells the cops he thinks it's uh, John Crowley, um, a.k.a. the the guy who I've been calling the shady guy the whole time. See, I got his name eventually. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then I wrote down that they made a Star Trek reference here, something about they. Oh, yeah, the cop, the head cop who's investigating all this refers to Silicon Valley as the Valley of the Klingons. Ooh, yeah, that was for you. That was for you people. Yeah, that was you for hell. me. Yeah. You Star Trek yeah. fans, that is. So I, I didn't get that. Like, it makes no sense as a comment. But also, like, was he saying that, like, because Klingons are like warriors. They're like a big, tough warrior race. Uh, all they care about is honor and fighting. So what? what's the? Well, I, I don't know. I, I think that the, uh, I mean, it's obvious that the guys who wrote this, you know, at a little advanced age when they wrote this so they were just like yeah. ah, let's just let's just reference the star trek fans <laughs> you know i mean 1993 star trek the next generation it's at, at its height of pop, its popularity so. that's true but they were just like what's in star trek klingons okay let's reference it yeah and uh that's about as far as it went yeah i guess we're just trying to call those silicon valley guys nerds basically yeah exactly there you go so uh, the sergeant then goes and uh, questions uh, Crowley. Uh, oh, but before that, the sergeant gives this like tough monologue about being the uh, a police chief or a sergeant in Silicon Valley. 
and it's like this hard-boiled like noir monologue and it's like Mm -hmm. you work in silicon valley man it was laughable (laughs) and he was like that actor he was dead serious about it it was hilarious i was just like is this a joke and it was just like is it the director telling him to be serious or was it a choice by the actor? Like it was, you know, like, like you said, his delivery is super serious, but what he's talking about, what he's talking about, the crimes he's been investigating, they're like nothing. He's like, just talking about how like, you know, usually these guys in Silicon Valley, I show up and they've attacked each other with spinach salads. (laughs) Like what? I know. (laughs) It was so funny. That was, this was the highlight of the episode uh, for me actually. (laughs) Um, But that, that'd be like, let me tell you what it's like being a weatherman in Hawaii. Like, it's like, <laughs> like every day all I do is report about how sunny it is. Like, it's, it's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, they must have known what they were doing. But who knows? Who knows? Uh, so anyway, yeah, they go in. Um, they question Crowley. And he's all, uh, as you were saying, ooh, it's not illegal to do this. And I'm, uh, you know, your typical, you know, question dodging, uh, you know, shady guy. Then uh, um, we go back to uh, Marathon, and uh, the sergeant shows up and ends up uh, arresting uh, Michael Burke because his fingerprints were on the gun. I guess we forgot to mention that uh, while uh, Kevin Sorbo, a.k.a. Michael Burke, was going through uh, Lindstrom's desk, he did pick up the gun. Um, Yeah, that's when they kind of did the close-up. Right, right, right. He's touching this. He's touching it. Yeah, there you go. So now we're back at. Uh, you know what's weird? Michael says nothing. Yeah. Like he, they come, they arrest him. He doesn't say no. You don't understand. I was going through his desk. Right. Yeah. He nothing. just goes along with. You know, Kevin Sorbo. And, he he knew he was innocent. I guess. Yeah. So. I wouldn't there be like residual gunpowder on him and that kind of stuff that they test for. Like so, it, it's it's real weird. Uh, but anyways. Right. Yeah. Kevin Sorbo's out of here. Yeah. For a yeah, back at Marathon, Jessica asks the HR lady to search for the PI by the name Porter because she heard the name Porter. Someone like mentioned it somewhere. Uh, Jessica then goes and talks to uh, Porter, the PI, threatens him with extortion unless he tells him what he was going to tell uh, Michael Burke. And this is basically she extorts him by telling him, "I know that you extort people." So I am now going to extort you to tell me this information or I will reveal who you really are. Right. And this is where like the show um, at least kind of breaks apart for me because, I mean, it could just be, I mean, what's to stop him from just going, just like murdering her and walking away. I mean, obviously, but this guy's not a killer. Right. Right. I mean, but she's gone through how many murders at this point, and everyone just happened to be a not that bad of a guy to where they wouldn't just haul off and punch her in the face. Fair enough, but you know she knows that this guy is not the killer. Right. You know? Right. 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 Well, I guess she's just been very lucky. It's the luck. She's just so charming. So right. Charming. I mean, you could never punch that face. You just never no. could. No. Um. So yeah. So then Jessica goes back to talk to uh, the money guy from before. Um, Paul, I believe his name was. Um, Dan, I think. And um, basically asks him what was going along. Uh, shoot, I lost my space. In, um, in okay, my so, she, so she finds his name is David. Uh, he's kind of like... David, we, we never get it. like We never get really clear 
descriptions of what exactly everyone's role at this company is with right. the exception of Lindstrom. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, David seems to kind of be like the boss boss and kind of running the company and like they don't have any more money. What's the big thing? But as we see him like packing stuff away in his trunk. I just assumed he was the ca- accountant. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, I mean, it's I, never I, it's, explicitly it's said. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, he's, he's skipping town, basically. And she's um, right. trying to get uh, information from him. Uh, then in the next scene, uh, the uh, uh, HR lady, um, Kate, is uh, firing uh, Sharon, says that uh, she can do it because while uh, Michael Burke is in prison, she's running the company. Um, and then uh, Jessica and Alex uh, then attempt to... Oh, the important thing that happened while... Um, Jessica was talking to David was that as he was leaving, he mentioned something about opening a door and she goes, yes, a door. Opening. Yeah. He says something like, cause she's asking him about Lindstrom, what kind of person he was. And he comes up with a real crazy theory where he's like, I don't know, maybe he was suicidal. He like paid an assassin to kill him. <laughs> like, right. and, she, and even Jessica's like, well, that seems kind of stupid. Right. Uh, right. But then, he, but then he says, yeah, if you could open a door into Lindstrom's mind, you would see that nothing is out of the realm of possibility. Right. And, and that's, that's when she's like, a door? There was a locked door in the game. Right. And then that's basically exactly kind of what happens. Uh, yeah, that gets her the idea to go back into the game uh, with Alex. Uh, they then go um, to try to get... They then go into the game, but they have to get uh, past a uh, password. And old uh, Alex... We we find out that he at the age of eleven hacked into the New York Stock Exchange, and uh, mm-hmm. I guess that's supposed to raise our expectation that he's going to be able to crack this password, no problem. But oh, he just he can't. And then, but hey, no problem, because Jessica Fletcher, using the powers of logic and deduction, <laughs> she figures it out, no problem. Of course, yeah, of course. <laughs> Uh, uh, and, uh, and then, so basically they go in, they're back in the game again, they go find the door and inside is, uh, this, uh, I guess, weird FMV version of Lindstrom, uh, asking like a cloud on the windows 95 background. Yeah. I remember (laughs) this is a little off topic. Like when we got like, I think it was like our second computer, there was like this welcome disc that came with it. That was hosted by the guy who plays Q, and uh, oh yeah, John Delancey. Yeah. yeah, and the whole thing just reminded me of that because he was just like, you know, it was just like miniature version of him. He was like, "Hello, let me introduce you to the Pentium, you know, 450. Let me show you what it can do." Blah blah blah. And I don't know for some reason this reminded me <laughs> of that. And um, so I'm kind of uh, so that gives him the idea that. I'm, I'm kind of confused about what happened. Like, so there's a riddle here, but then there isn't inside the game. Is that what happens? And then they make up a riddle to to call out the um, the killer. Isn't that sort of what happens? Yeah, like um, Lindstrom had like left like a a, a weird uh, riddle, mm-hmm. um, and basically, like she thought it was something important uh, or whatever. Um, but yeah, he just like left like this riddle in the um, computer. Right. Yeah. So really, it's not anything important. So now we're back. Uh, we're back in the real world in the lab or whatever. 
Um, and I have written here in my notes, <laughs> in the background, there's this ridiculous looking like neon laser thing. Did you notice it? Yeah. <laughs> it, just, it just made me laugh because it was just there yeah. just because it looks futuristic and, and right, stupid. Right. Very synth wave. I, I liked it a lot, actually. True, true. Um, anyway, uh, Alex calls his mom and then there's the whole... Um, they call attention to the whole um, beeper slash pager thing. And I think that's the thing that triggers um, um, Jessica because then she they bring it up later. The, uh, I have it written down here. Uh, Sharon brings up uh, once the detective got there, you know, and they're trying to piece together some information that she had heard uh, a page that Lindstrom received. Right, right. So... Alex calls his mom. Jessica calls someone and asks about the riddle. Uh, Jessica then asks Alex to come up with a riddle. And then we are in marathon after hours. Uh, the riddle means they, um, they tell Sharon that the riddle means there's a fatal virus inside the game. Sharon then admits uh, to David that she was the one who killed Lindstrom and she, well, Sharon shows up with the source code disk. Right, right. She, yeah, she says that she has it. Yeah, she, and um, David was like, what are you doing here? And she's like, well, there's this virus. I've got the source code disk, so I'm going to whatever. And then I think David then says, you killed mm -hmm. uh, Lindstrom, because obviously that's why she has the disk with the source code. Right. She says she wanted to save Michael from Lindstrom because he was going to... I guess, sell out the company to, um, to the uh, Crowley. Uh, but then right before um, David can do anything, the cops uh, make themselves, I mean, they were hidden in shadow. Yeah. Uh, they show up. Oh, and then she pulled out a gun and said she was going to kill David next too, right. after she fixed the, the virus. Right, right. Uh, they then uh, admit that Alex made up the riddle. It was a distraction. Um, then they uh, they say that the uh, the paging system is what uh, um, <laughs> is what uh, tipped Jessica Fletcher off because she um, couldn't have heard a page. Uh, I don't know. So basically, the whole thing is that you she wouldn't have heard that page like mm -hmm. uh, unless she was near Lindstrom. Right, right, right. She got him. And because no one else was around to hear it, she figures, oh, you were the alone with him. Mm -hmm. uh, ah, there so, you go. That's it. That's it. So that's how she puts her at the scene of the crime. Mm -hmm. So, and then that is basically it. And, um... Yep. Yeah. Sharon admits to everything as, uh, as these people on Murder, She Wrote are wont to do. Yep. Um, There's no action scene at the end. <laughs> Everyone just, yeah. uh... It just, everything's wrapped up in a nice, neat little package, yeah. and uh, isn't it weird that we never see Michael again after he's cleared? Yeah, they. Ne I feel like in these episodes, there's usually a little like a coda or something. Where, yeah, I thought so too. Like maybe they uh, ran out of time. Yeah, they never brought back uh, Kevin Sorbo to like patch things up with. Oh wait, M maybe Kevin Sorbo just wouldn't shut up about God not being dead yet, and they hey, were this like, was... bring him. <laughs> This is pre-wacky Kevin Sorbo. He, he was still normal at this point. Um, but, uh, yeah, and uh, that's that. So uh, anything else left to say before we uh, render our verdict about Murder, She Wrote, A Virtual Murder? Um, no, I don't, I don't think there's much more to say uh, about it, right? Uh, I think we pretty much covered the, the, the whole show. 
Yeah, all right, here comes uh, a bumper. All right, Yehel Velasquez. Do you think um, this particular episode of Murder, She Wrote, because I don't even think we have the power to wipe out 12 seasons of uh, Murder, She Wrote. I don't think we have the power to banish them to uh, <laughs> the black hole of obscurity. Um, do you think it should be remembered for uh, a little bit longer or tossed in the black hole of obscurity never to be heard from again? Um, I got to say, like, this episode, it was overall, like, fairly, it was enjoyable. I, I would say uh should be remembered just for, like, how kind of, like, uh, ridiculous it is in its portrayal of vr um so i'm gonna give it a yes actually hmm well i don't think it was ridiculous enough mm, um, fair. i can see that too yeah like i i mean from the images that like you sent me like when i saw her like wearing that vr outfit i was like oh man this is gonna be hilarious and really, mm -hmm. it was just another episode of Murder, She Wrote, really. And um, I mean, I know it was a different time, but like <laughs> so, so little happened. Um, and I actually found myself pretty bored pretty fast um, after I got past like a lot of the nostalgia aspects about it. So I'm going to have to go with a no, which leaves us at a stalemate, which I feel like this definitely deserves a stalemate. I mean, I'm glad we're not uh, destroying it completely. So uh, here comes a stalemate. Well, I hope not. That was uh, just a joke, yeah, everyone. Where uh, <laughs> we enjoyed self-deprecating humor here at Obscurity Now, and I hope you do too. <laughs> I mean, if you've lasted this long, then I'll assume that you do. Yeah. Um, but, uh, wow. So do you ever think you'll watch another episode of Murder, She Wrote in your entire life? No, nah, probably not. I mean, I'll just keep watching the, um, the little video reviews that, uh, Push It Up Roses does on it. Well, I think and, that's, uh, I think that's interesting that you watch the YouTube of a, of content of a show that you don't actually watch. Um, I mean, I don't think there's a problem with that. I just think it's interesting. That's all. Well, it takes less time and uh, she sure. usually has like some pretty funny quips and mm -hmm. observations uh, about whatever she wrote. And I bet it's funnier than the actual episode. Well, yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and she'll like drop in some background info on some of the production and that kind of stuff. So it's it's just a more interesting watch because I'm not 65 years old. So Murder, She Wrote doesn't speak to me that much. As right. Hmm. I wonder if my mom will watch or listen to this episode of us. Yeah, probably not. But uh, <laughs> uh, hey, we tried. All right. Well, hey, make sure you like and subscribe and share us with all your friends. And uh, if you're not a Murder, She Wrote fan, then we'll be talking about something else completely different next time. In fact, we'll actually be talking about the lawnmower man. Uh, the granddaddy of all VR um, movies, at least we think so. Um, so make sure you join us next week as we continue to discuss even more obscure media, only on Obscurity Now.
You've, You've been, been enjoying, enjoying Obscurity Now, a podcast that's recorded live to tape and streamed to Twitch and YouTube. Subscribe so you never miss an episode or hilarious quip. Take us with you by following the download links provided in the show notes to wherever you get podcasts. And take notice of our various social media links. If that's what you're into, I'm not here to judge. And make sure you join us live next week at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific as we continue to discuss more obscure media only on Obscure Now.